Prado looking, throws it, alley, oh, he puts it down, he puts it down, it's over! Welcome into the Just Basketball Show for September 13th. I am Chris Manning, that is Brendan Clean. If you haven't already, follow us on your podcast app, platform of choice hit subscribe on the just basketball fans youtube channel and want to tell you about our friends at homage homage is an ultra comfortable specialty apparel company with nba and wba licenses that use vintage inspired designs to pay homage to the greatest stories traditions and figures across sports music and pop culture use the link below to make your purchase and support the Just Basketball Show. Later in the show, we're going to have Maddie, a.k.a. WNBA Data from TikTok, on to talk about the WNBA playoffs, which are finally here. We're going to Austin Gurria from Dime and more to talk about Dallas in our second segment today as you dive into all things Dallas Mavericks. But we're going to start today by talking about the Orlando Magic, a team that I think if we were, Brennan, maybe before the season starts, we should do some kind of exercise that's like, Okay, this is like the official just basketball team and like guys. Like, if we're gonna be each like like we sh- this would be a cool graphic at least, maybe a cool TikTok to do. But I think love how oh, content man. minded you are. Look, man, you pilled me. We're, just a we're big, here. big Gen X energy. Um, sure. Yeah, but I agree. I was Gen, NFL Gen guys. X? Gen Z, Gen sorry, X? Gen Z. Okay. Um. NFL guys get to do NFL analysts guys not gendered get to do like they do the drafts of like the win totals have you seen yes. like that's a common preview concept for NFL like, uh, coverage yeah, I love that yeah. but NBA yeah. it's kind of yeah. like okay that team had 45 that team had 44 no one even remembers by the end of the season We got to come up with our version of that because I agree. I want to kind of be competitive about staking our claim both against other people doing this type of coverage, but also against one another. Like we got to we got to make it happen and then keep track of who those players are and how they're doing over the course of a season Um, because we have our guys. And I agree with you. Orlando is one of our teams and they have a lot of wacky players that I think deserve a little bit more love. And I don't know how they'll fit together, which I guess we can dive into. But this is uh this is a grand experiment of a basketball team, I feel like, and I'm not sure what it's going to turn into. Wacky, I think, is a good way to do it. To start with most important player, I think it's Paolo, to me, it's Paolo Bancaro. Um, it has to yeah. be. He's coming off of Team yeah. USA. He's coming off of Rookie of the Year. I think he is awesome. I think the ascension is coming, but does it take a little bit longer than year two? We understand, we know from history that sometimes things can take a little bit. This isn't always a direct, you know, one-to-one leap to the world, right? Like, it doesn't always happen you know, in that way. So to me, I'm looking at this and thinking, okay, does it, it, can this be a world, can this be a situation where he hits the ground running in year two and he, we're just, we're just there with him and, and things get awesome. Yeah. The starting point for Paolo is already a NBA player who drives winning at a really high level. Like that is why I always kind of thought he should and would be the number one overall pick that year when it was kind of a mystery if he was going to be. And obviously he was and then had a great rookie season. And I think, you know, maybe didn't play enough to say like we learned all these new things about him at the World Cup, but at least, you know, playing center and getting out in the open court more and and switching and, and, you know, you got a taste of some other types of ways that his versatility can be maximized um he already lives at the rim he gets fouled a ton has incredible feel passing instincts 
nearly 20% of his field goal attempts he got fouled on last year. That was one of my favorite stats that I saw. Like, that's just elite already. Um, and, you know, judging from that World Cup and also his rookie season and his time at Duke, like, he's a multi-positional defender. I think he can guard some fives and most forwards. So, like, that's just an awesome starting point. But... I, I was going to say this later, but I, I really think the question for Orlando this season is, do they have already the guy who can be the best player on a championship version of this team, or do they still need to get him? And I think that's why Paolo is so interesting. And he doesn't need to show that in year two, but you probably want to know a, a little more of what that, answer, what that answer is. Can he, does he seem 20% more likely to be that guy by the end of the year? You kind of want that at least, right? Yeah, I don't think you're going to know this year, but I think an inclination and maybe some bigger reps for him in a playing game or something, I think would go a long way. Um, and, mm-hmm. I, and, I, and look, I want to see more of him at the five. I'm, I'm fascinated by that. I'm intrigued by that. I want to see that pushed in a different direction because I think he's physically up for it. I don't think you're going to do it against like Embiid necessarily because I think defensively you're just going to hammer him and I don't think that's really worth it. But I think there's matchups where you can really exploit that in a way that I'm all about and I'm really fascinated to see if they could could go you know, in that explicit direction. Um, I think that could be really, really cool. Brennan, to go to player we're going to be talking about. Hold on. I have one thing about Paolo as far as what we're actually looking for this year basketball-wise. I think the question for me is, does he improve? How does he improve his finishing? Does he improve his finishing? He only shot 62% at the rim last year. His three-point shooting, only 30%. Can he be more of a shot creator? I mean, he's like kind of a high assist rate guy, but it's like what's going to be the thing that he makes his living on in the NBA? Is it going to be that he just feasts around the basket and just goes to the line 10 times a game and you know, just finishes constantly around there. Is it going to be that he's a versatile kind of can score from all three levels guy and it's just hard to guard him because you don't know what he's going to be? Well, he needs to increase his shooting. Or is he going to be just so balanced in terms of increasing that passing ability that he just makes everybody better and he doesn't have to score as much? Like, I, I think it's sort of what is his identity going to be? How is he going to craft a real lane in the NBA? And then what do you build around him from there i think that's those few categories i think if he just improved one of them substantially or all of them a little bit it would go a long way toward just knowing more about him and that's obviously what a year two is really for so um it's funny how highly we thought of him considering that there are still some holes and he was still as impactful as he was yeah, the thing I'll say about the, the rim stuff, which is where I tend to lean, might be the most direct path, just because the efficiency of being near the rim is a big deal. He got fouled a ton last year. He was the 90th percentile of forwards in terms of how often he was fouled on shot attempts. That's an outrageous number. That's great for a rookie, much less anybody else. Um, and one percentage, well below average, free throw percentage below average i think if he can finish more through contact and maybe some yeah. of that's luck i don't you know i there's certainly a data person could but he's not a freak that. athlete right so it's not like no. he's not gonna dunk and, and i think that's kind of the, the unspoken thing with all these parts of his game is like he's operating at a little bit of a deficiency he might have an advantage with feel and iq but he doesn't have sure. the freak athleticism so it's like what does that lead to as a player in the modern nba weight, weight room is what i would say sure yeah, anyway. I mean, absorbing contact contact that doesn't even actually like really feel like a contest. Like, there's an easy way for it, right? Bingo. Yeah, I think that's a great way to put it. Okay, let's move on to player 
who are going to be talking at the end of the season, Brendan. I went hipster. I went a little deep at Franz Wagner. Franz Wagner is the obvious pick. I'm going Jalen Suggs. I just really still believe in Jalen Suggs. I believe in the two-way potential. I believe in the defense especially. I just think this dude is going to scale up and be awesome, and I just tend to think he's going to be in the round of the NBA for a long time. Whether that's in Orlando, I think, is a fair question. They just drafted another guard and all that stuff, but I just really like Jalen Suggs, and I think this he's someone that I can absolutely continue to be and prove to be a winning player in this league. Yeah, I fully agree. We are, you know, probably of anybody on this team, we've staked our our kind of claim to being part of the Jalen Suggs stand base uh, the most. And so that's part of why I didn't include him here. But as far as the shooting goes, which is really kind of the thing for him, you know, it's it's the swing skill. It's absolutely the swing skill. And he was 77% from the free throw line as a rookie, 76% in college, and then declined a little bit to 72% last year, but also had fewer attempts and played a similar amount of games. So I'm not going to read too much into the fluctuation. It's not like it dipped all that much. The interesting thing is his assist went down last year, but he was also part of a lot of their best lineup. So I tend to think, you know, with players like that who are kind of a little bit of a Swiss Army knife, who don't do one thing all that great. I mean, I'm talking about on offense on defense he does a lot of things really great but offensively it's like if you're surviving on a lineup that succeeds that's kind of all i need to see and so i think he'll continue to get playing time i think the fact that anthony black was drafted was a little peculiar there is some overlap there in terms of just what their role is going to be and obviously there was already overlap with markel fultz so he's going to have a little bit more competition to a future spot on this team as well as even just consistent high level minutes as like a top eight guy this year but i tend to agree with you that he's just kind of good enough and has made good things happen whenever he's been on the court dating back to gonzaga that it'll just kind of work out but this dude plays basketball like nobody else in in the nba it doesn't even feel like he's playing the same sport as other people sometimes he makes passes and takes shots that you don't you just kind of know the rhythms of basketball and then he shows up and you're like okay maybe not you know, and then he just blows stuff up defensively. And it's like, he just is a wild card in a really cool way. Yeah, I I think of him as someone that I just like kind of think is going to be a 16-game player and just mm-hmm. really be annoying in that setting. And I just want to see him get there. And I think the shot making is going to be a part of it. We know if it doesn't come around, the teams are just going to leave him alone and then it's hard to play him and he won't get the chance. Mm-hmm. That's just good, what will happen. But I also just like him as a compliment to what Paolo and Franz are. I just think like that skill set could be really valuable with those two guys. And I think if you have him defending these guards that are coming up in the league and you see a Cleveland in the playoffs, the Knicks in the playoffs at some point, like mm-hmm. having Jalen Suggs to throw at Tyrese Maxey if you played Philly or something like that, or mm-hmm. Dame if, they, if Damon's up Miami as we expect and you play Miami in certain instances, even just on a night-to-night basis in the regular season, I think that's the kind of guy that can just be so additive for you on that end of the floor and, and make a opposing guard's life really annoying. Like, they yeah. might still go off, but their points are going to be really hard-earned when they play Jalen Suggs, and that's such a testament to, like, is he on the level of Cade and Mobley and Scotty at this point? No, I think we've learned that he's not as good as those guys, but I still think this is going to be a really good talent. When we yeah. And I don't, five years out. And I don't think he ever was going to be right. I think the play with drafting him, no matter which team did, it was always sort of, 
he's going to be this player that just kind of lifts everybody around him and is malleable and is versatile. And I would say he is a great fit next to those guys. Um, you know, maybe as a kind of co-pilot to Fultz, they maybe they both play like 25 minutes a game or if Fultz eventually leaves this team, you could see Suggs being in a starting lineup. I think the things that need to happen there are he needs to cut down his turnovers and just become yeah. a more kind of fluid ball handler and, and off the bounce creator in order to be like a real, you know, he's not going to be a point guard. He doesn't have to be if it's Franz and Paolo, but somebody who at least can dribble the ball the most on a team and you feel good about that. And I, I don't think he's flashed that. His best moments as a ball handler are in transition. So really half court stuff kind of needs to come along. But um, again, you know, he's fairly young. Um, can we talk real quick about Franz? Cause I did have him. Yes, it's also kind yes. of funny to have him as the guy we're going to be talking about. And Paolo is the most important when Franz has been in the league longer, but it just still feels true. Um, yes. Franz is a super interesting player because I think there's a real question about what, how much higher is his ceiling than what we've already seen from him. Mm-hmm. You just look at, you know, what he kind of was coming into the draft, what he's been in the NBA, what he did in a looser environment for Germany at the World Cup, and it kind of all looks the same. Like, even you just look at threes per game, he has been at, like, basically exactly four and a half per game in every single environment you could ever measure his output for like just go to his real gm page which has all the fiba stuff all the college stuff and all the nba stuff it's just four and a half four and a half four and a half like i to me that's kind of the way that i see his game progressing is be even more of a pull-up three threat be even more of a guy you have to guard out to 30 feet and then just throw passes around get to your floater from there just really demand the defense's attention even further out guys have to go over screens on you you know you have more room to pass more room to shoot once you get past that first guy and use that screen but he hasn't done that so it's just it's like the ceiling might only be 10 15 percent better than what he already is um and he hasn't necessarily shown like he's headed in the direction of what that's going to look like. He just has kind of been the same guy dating back to Michigan. And that's still a really good player, but I'm just fascinated to see if there's something I don't see coming that he could turn into. Yeah. I, is he, do you think at top of his ceiling, second best guy on a great team or third best guy? I, I mean, I guess I can kind of just give my answer to the question I posed about it. I, I think that they probably need a player better than either Franz or Paulo. So I kind of think so, like the best version in a vacuum, not set, setting aside whatever they would have to trade to get that player right. or whatever, you know, which just, might be one of them, which might be like, exactly. could, like the other team could exactly. be like, Hey, I want, I want that other guy probably will be right. Yeah. But like, I think that Paolo is probably at number two and Franz is probably a number three and maybe magic fans are just going to stop listening after I say that. But I just, think that you know I, I think that the way they play and the kind of athletic limitations that they have in 2023 you want like a really good athletic score probably next to the two of them would be ideal i could see a world where palo is a number one but i think there's a leap that would have to come and we just need to kind of see some of it franz i guess if i i guess i think you could ha- you could have him be your second best guy if you had like a really, really, the, if the point guard clicked in a certain way, I think you can make it work. To your point, but like, is is that guy on the roster? I don't necessarily think that guy's on the roster. Like, if I'm gonna pick like the right point guard for them, I would kind of think like 
Memphis Errol Mike Conley would make a ton of sense. Like that kind of guy who's just ships on time, really good passer, good defender, and supplements yeah, all these I guys. Just like, think that's, that's, that, that's a low ceiling. Like I, I think that the point guard kind of creator guy would need to be the best. That's the guy that you so would like, want to so like have. If, like Jaw, something like, like that. Sure. Like if they yeah, got Scoot instead similar. of Anthony Black in this draft, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, I yeah. mean, Ant. You know, somebody like a real downhill perimeter yeah. guard who creates offense at a really high level. Like that would be pretty cool. And you get into dribble handoffs with with Paolo, ball, you know, pick and roll with Paolo, Franz, um, you know, ghost screen stuff with, you know, slipping out to the perimeter and you just get an easy three off that because the defense freaks out. Like, but I don't, I think they can be very good with what they have. I, I definitely want to put that, like say that for sure. Um, yes, this isn't at a point yet where I think you're thinking about this too much no. right like we're not we're not there this is like a two years from now question it's a testament to how cool and fun and good they already are that we're asking those questions right it's like they've already shown and flashed enough and we expect them to take another step forward this year where it's like okay and then what next which like i think you know is not always great in sports but i think in this case you and i it really is like we're geeking out about it we're not like well none of this matters because they're going to top out at this. Like, that's not what we're doing. Yes. Okay. Let's move on to our next question. Best case. Brennan, to me, the, or sorry, best lineup, excuse me. Mm-hmm. The weird one for me a little bit here. Um, okay. I'll just say I last just, year. Yeah. Fultz, Suggs, Franz, Paolo, Carter. Like, so I, I you look at that, that, that has to make, that's what you went? Yeah, I just went that same way. I looked at that, and I looked at their roster, and I said, I don't think I can improve on that. Mm-hmm. But I mean, that has to make Orlando executives like over the moon. That's like our basically our young core and they were our best lineup. Like, let's go take shots. Like, that's wonderful, right? I mean, that's yeah. kind of what you want. So, um, all right, I'll do mine. My best lineup for the Orlando Magic this year, Markel Fultz. I think you keep him in place from last year. He's improved the jumper. He's a great passer, good point of attack defender. I actually have Gary Harris. That's the one change from their best lineup last year that I would make. I think when he was out there, their offense really took a step forward and they're going to need to improve their offense this year. If they keep him all season, he's going to be a shooter and spacer that helps them. I have Franz Wagner. I have Paolo Bancaro. I think those are your two primary creators. Those are your two primary scorers. They need to keep getting reps, keep getting better, keep increasing the fear that they put in opponents as scorers and playmakers. And then I have Wendell Carter Jr. Awesome big to have if you're going to switch as much as this team does and will continue to switch. He can space the floor if you want him to. He needs to stay healthy, but that's a five that kind of gives you everything you need and I think can be part of what drives the magic to an increased win total this year if everything goes according to plan. Um, This seems weird because you would think the offense was what drove them, and it was not at all. It was the defense. Um, So we can just jump to best case. I have one or both of Franz or Paolo becomes a real offensive engine. The defense stays solid, and Orlando makes the playoffs. Yeah, 100% agree. I think that's about where this goes. I think the young talent is going to be what drives them one way or the other. Um, This is not a situation where... There's going to be like they brought in like Joe Ingles, like they brought in, they have some older guys there, but those, like him and Gary Harris are not driving the winning here. They didn't like bring it, they didn't do what Houston did and spend money and bank on that, improving the team. What they've done here is say, okay, we've given some more support. 
but not overwhelming support to the young guys, and let's see if they, they sink or swim. And I think if they if you're right, if the young talent drives them and Paolo takes a step, if, if Franz takes a step, if Wendell Carter Jr. remains like a pretty good center that the Bulls probably should, that has really blossomed since leaving Chicago, I think they're... they're the blossomed before leaving Chicago, success. to be honest. Yes, but it, but it's like... But it like feels more real now, I guess. Yeah, no, I, I, you're totally right. But it's just like it makes it that much worse that they get that they got rid of him. It's not like he was like playing eight minutes a game and then just like broke out. It's like no, he was just good and got better. Like you probably shouldn't have traded that guy. Yeah, that's that's very fair. Okay, moving on to worst case, Brandon. To me, it's I just think the it's it's the exact opposite. It just does the young talent flounder in a way that leaves them kind of listless i think the worst thing that could happen to a team like this is that you feel listless that you end up in a spot where you don't know where you're going and i I think that i don't really see that happening here i just like the talent but i think if that if you can't rule it out just because young talent can be a little bit volatile and let's just let's just see where this kind of progresses as time goes on yeah i think you have to say about their offseason right that they had an opportunity with cap space and assets, could have traded up in the draft, could have spent their money, could have tried to trade for a star. I mean, all these things were on the table. They did none of them. And you have the type of young core that may top out as being complimentary. So these window years where you still have your assets, your picks, your money to spend do matter, you know, long term. It, yes. It is important. And so I think that that probably contributes to a little bit of the weirdness about what to expect this season because the team had an opportunity to take a step forward. We've heard, heard all this stuff about pressure for this team, and then they just kind of ran it back. Um, so I have, for my worst case, Anthony Black and Joe Ingles don't add much. Orlando offloads Gary Harris and Cole Anthony by the deadline, and it feels like another developmental year overall. Can I ask you just one question, kind of on the offseason stuff, real quick? Um, do who needed Fred Van Vliet more, the Rockets or the Magic? Well, the thing about Van Vliet, I, I think it would have been the, a, a smart thing to do to at least explore getting him. If you're Orlando, probably via trade at the deadline would have been best. But I don't necessarily know if he's the ideal. I mean, we were just talking through what the ideal maybe third star would be for this team and and none of those guys play anything like Fred Van Vliet so I don't think he was some sort of like panacea for this team to just blow up but it would have been a little more steady uh, and a little bit more concrete of like a yes we're going to get better type of thing whereas this this isn't Um, I also just don't think Cole Anthony makes any sense on this team not sure what team he makes sense on if I'm being 100% honest but there's just no spot for what he does, I don't think, uh, especially with Ingles, because I think the ball will kind of be in Ingles' hands in that second unit now. Yeah, I, uh, Cole Anthony is like kind of like vintage in some ways, just because he's just like bucket getting guard, and like I almost mm. think he needs to, you know, like we talked about Jordan Clarkson, he got better by going to Utah. I think he needs to get in a situation that might be able to develop him into a more well-rounded player, and I doesn't feel like Orlando is that for him. It might have happened by now. Yeah, it's a problem. I mean, he, he played better down the stretch last year. Like, I always kind of have to temper because, like, I, I don't love watching him. So I think I kind of, like, make him sound worse than he's been. But stylistically, he plays like he's been on a tanking team, you know, still. And he's a very small 6'2". So I just don't know what that player is in the modern NBA on a great team. Um, maybe, like, a ninth man, you know. Um, but, all right. I have over 36 over. and a half. Yeah. Yeah. 
I, I yeah, do too, they, but it's it's by the it's by the slim margin. I don't yeah, think it's so, going to be great. They started five. This is everybody knows this, but they started five and seventeen, finished twenty nine and thirty one. That last sixty game pace is thirty nine forty wins. Um, and then I also just from a standing standpoint, I think the East is going to get worse. So maybe even the top teams are a little worse. But especially you look right ahead of them in the standings from last year. Washington and Toronto definitely should be worse teams this season. And Chicago might take a step back. They might start to trade some of their pieces away. They didn't do a lot to get better, at least. So I look just right ahead of them. And I think Orlando could easily be better than those three teams. And then you're, you know, you're right where you need to be to hit that over. So um, it is probably going to be tight. I don't feel awesome about it. I probably wouldn't bet it. But I just think, you know, like we've said, we believe in this talent and the standings and schedule and everything kind of set up where if they do what we expect, like they should win 37, 38, 39 games. Would enjoy them trading, like doing some kind of aggressive trade if the market breaks for them in season in some way. I will say that. Yeah, but what's the crown jewel of that trade if if it's not Paolo and Franz, which I don't think you should trade them right now, right? You still want to see what they are. So, you know, Jalen Suggs, like you're probably getting a Fred Van Vliet type at best with their package right now, right? Yeah. I, I, not, like a I don't fringe really all-star. know. Well, and like, I don't like Zach Levine is not like worth it to me. No. Right? No. It's like, I don't know. I don't know what you do with that. Yeah. I mean, it's hard because you just, you, you zoom out and you're like, I kind of see there's an, there's enough uncertainty about what their young players can be. We haven't even really said Anthony Black's name much, but he was a top 10 pick for them that I, I get yeah. the idea of just kind of writing it out. You're going to max Franz Wagner kind of no matter what he does this year. So it's not like there's a whole lot to like see there in terms of what you're going to be spending your money on in the future. But I just, I don't know, maybe it's just, you know, a little greedy. I would have liked to see them with some new toy, you know? Yeah. I mean, there's a reason I think like a year ago, they were like one of the, like some of the, when you listen to me, a positive about Donovan Mitchell trades, they were like, could this be a team that trades for Donovan Mitchell? And I don't know who the next Donovan Mitchell to hit the market will be. You know what could be a fun one that's not a superstar, not a veteran superstar, but if if Caden Ivy don't fit, Ivy on this team could be an interesting fun one. Yeah, to be the place it's like, hey, second, we'll re. It's kind of like getting a taking a swing on rehabilitating Ivy to some degree. Yeah, yeah, I think he's going to be good. It's more so just oh, like wait, we'll, we'll gotta, take your your fit problem. Can I give, you can, know, can I give can I give you a name that costs more money but I think does need a change of scenery? And you tell yeah. me if this is and he's maybe not the passer you might want, but. Colin Sexton. Yeah. Yeah. It, you know, floor raiser for it's, the team, probably. And he's kind of similar to Suggs, I guess. Better shooter. Way better shooter. I I, get, I would rather have him than Cole Anthony, I think. Yeah. Is that fair? Yeah, it's, it's a tough fit. No, no, no. You're absolutely right. I, I just think they have too many guards, period. So I'm not sure if replacing Cole Anthony is, like, the ideal. It's kind of like consolidate all yeah. those guards into one thing, right? Like, you know, I don't know. Um, we haven't I, even said I Jonathan just, Isaac, who also might be a reason to make this trade, right? Money, his money <laughs> last year that they can really use it because I'm sure they're going to cut him after this year. Yeah, he's doing great with his fashion brand, so I don't, I don't know what's going on there. Um, all right, coming up next, Dallas Mavericks preview with Austin Gurria from Diamond and other spots. So stay tuned for us moving from Orlando to talk about all things Luca and Kyrie. Moving on to preview the. Mavericks. We have Austin Gurria from Dime with us to talk about Austin. 
much for coming through. Happy to be here. Happy to uh, preview a very, I think, interesting Dallas Mavericks team. Yeah, I think so. I think interesting is a good way to do it. And I think the only way to start with this uh, for me is by just saying that Kyrie Irving is my most important player. Uh, mm. I just think so much is riding him. I, I Look, Luke, we know what Luca is. We know how good he is. I understand he's maybe going to, how good he is maybe dictates, dictates how good this team can be. I just kind of think so much is riding on Kyrie and him working out and that partnership working out that I kind of think it has to be Kyrie as the answer, just because he's kind of the ultimate wild card of, of the ceiling. And like, look, I've seen firsthand in Cleveland how much him as your second guy can raise your ceiling, but it's now been a while since we have seen that version of Kyrie. If it comes back and there's no other chicanery, I'm in, I'm, I'm a little more intrigued, but am I skeptical that that's going to happen? Also? Yes. Yeah, I had Luca as my most important. Who did you have Austin? Sorry to interrupt you. Go ahead. Oh no, I th- I also had Kyrie. I think okay, okay. Clearly, clearly has the most volatility of any of the players in their roster, but I I think he's in a good place right now. He got his contract extension. Uh, he's healthy. I think he's generally pretty happy in, in Dallas. He no longer wants to co-manage a franchise. He's just there to play basketball. Uh, and I think there's a lot of consternation about his his partnership with Luca, but they were a amazing offense when they played together last year. I think the the talk about their fit is kind of overblown it's really about him staying healthy and lucas staying healthy as long as they stay healthy they're gonna have an elite offense and they'll eventually figure out kind of their their crunch time situation those two together just as a for numbers wise austin's dead right that that their offense was very very good they're together in 900 possessions luca and Kyrie plus 4.6 per 100 scored an average of 121.7 per 100 the defense is the problem, 117.1 on average. Uh, the most common lineup with those two, which I think will be better than, which I think is worse than the best lineup they'll have this year, was Luca, Kyrie, or most common one, I should say, Green, Bullock, and Powell. That was the five that they most ran out with those two on the floor together. Obviously, a very small sample. Still, I think a lot to learn and for them to get comfortable with each other. Let me ask this I, as a Kyrie point and maybe at a different angle because we, we could repeat all the same stuff about him and over and over again. I don't think that will get us anywhere. And I wanted to bring him up, but I don't really know us how to do it. Is Jason Kidd the right coach for Kyrie? I think he actually is the right coach for Kyrie. I think that's okay. actually a, a pretty good relationship. I think Kyrie trusts him. Um, they have a, a long relationship going back like a, a few before their time in Dallas. Um, that I've never haven't heard anything about between Kid and Kyrie. And I think that's actually a, a pretty good partnership uh, as far as Kyrie goes. What I want to understand uh, on the Kyrie side, making the case that he's the most important player on the team, is. What is he going to do to distinctly make this team better? Is it about when Luke is off the court? Is it about just being a second side guy and 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 better shooter than some of the alternatives that he's played with in the past when he is on the court? Uh, is it just being a more trustworthy overall decision maker and scorer than the replacement level guy they might have behind him? Like what, what's the case that Kyrie is going to like take them from whatever they would have been to something substantially better. That's why I didn't pick him because I think he will be great, but we've seen this offense be awesome without Kyrie. And again, to your point, Austin, I don't really worry about the fit. So it's like, is it just that he's a better Spencer Dinwiddie? Is that kind of like the bottom line there? I think it is he's a Ben Spencer did Woody, and also he allows them to kind of diversify their offensive style. I think actually last year when it was Kyrie and no Luca, they played a 
much more fun style, more much more up and down. I think it actually helped a lot of their wing players like Tim Hardaway Jr. and Josh Green. They instantly got a boost when Kyrie was traded to the team just because the way that Kyrie moves, the way that he plays off ball, he kind of complements their players. Um, and he allows other players to kind of handle the ball and do more on the ball than, than Luka kind of really allows. Um, and he also again, gets gets into transition. Like, Luka just doesn't really want to run with the basketball. Uh, and I think he's also a little... Luka, is, as much as he gets his teammates wide open shots, he's a little difficult to play with in that he plays at his own pace. And so, obviously, playing at your own place is great. Great for you to get work to your spots. But sometimes your teammates can't predict where you're going or what you're going to do. And it's a little harder to get adjusted to, to playing with Luka. And I think the guys on the team played a little bit easier and looser when, when Kyrus is on the floor by himself. I love all that. That is actually a great way to think about it. And I hope that the way Kyrie plays can maybe rub off on Luca a little bit. Like I, I would hope that if they develop a good relationship in chemistry, that that kind of synergy could start to make Luca, you know, he's LeBron like he's, he's hardened like where he's, his offense comes with two, maybe three people involved in it, right? It's yeah. the screener. And then if somebody catches the ball off of that, then that becomes the third person. But typically it's just somebody setting a screen for him. And then, and then what's going to happen after that. And again, as I don't think it needs to be said, but maybe just to say it like that in and of itself is a top 10 offense. Like that's why I have Luka Doncic as my guy, because I think it's about how do you adapt within that structure? How do you change and uh, affect other players success more and more within that structure? And I also still am in the camp that Luca has the ability to be a good defender. Like I don't, um, I, I don't know if it's going to happen, but if he could just get into a defensive stance more often and use his size and, and IQ to disrupt the opposing team, like that would be nice. So there's also the little bit of like, okay, even if it's a better Spencer Dinwiddie, he has to do 5%, 10%, 15% less on offense. Maybe he can channel that into some different things. Maybe I'm getting a little ahead of myself, but I would hope that could happen. Uh, on the Kyrie side, I do want to throw out there too on those lineups when Luke is not on the court. A lot of those came with Christian Wood, and I'm excited to see what it looks like when it doesn't. Uh, you know, when it's Kyrie and a different big man, maybe somebody who can space for him, maybe somebody who can, you know, be a, a role man, somebody in the dunker spot, whatever it is. I think, you know, Kyrie just standing off to the side, even when Luca's not on the court is a bad outcome for everybody. So uh, I, I would like to see that, but yeah, I mean, I just, I think this is obviously a really good foundation. Um, Chris, are there things you can glean from how Kyrie played against played with LeBron that might matter here? Cause I was thinking about that today. You had a front row seat to how Kyrie can play off of guys yeah. like that. And this will be the first full year of him playing with Luca. The, the first thing I would say is that the Kyrie, no LeBron lineups in Cleveland, at least in terms of on off numbers didn't actually work all that well, which isn't like surprising. Cause that's been a thing with LeBron for as long as LeBron has been around. <laughs> like that's just a thing where he's out on the floor. His teams are worse. That, that happened. I was looking at the numbers for this and you know, again, it's 645 possessions. That's not a ton, but Kyrie on the floor, no Luka. Mavs were plus 6.6 .6 per 100. And I do think if you surround Kyrie with a screener to let him get into the lane, which they also have options for that, shooting, which they have, and can cover him defensively, which I think they can't. I think the structure of that makes sense to me. I don't know if those lineups are ever going to be good defensively fully just because Kyrie at the point of attack is just 
going to get beat up. And I, I think there are some limits there. And I don't think they have, you know, maybe like the apex predator defensive guy to kind of really raise the floor or the defense in that way. But I think the structure they have works for what Kyrie is good at. And when they, when he would do well in Cleveland without LeBron, lots of shooting, had some bigger guards with him that could play with him, and you let him kind of play pick-and-roll heavy basketball. I think there's a version of that that you can absolutely do here and then have him kind of slide more in and out of things and, and be kind of a chaos agent when he's on the floor. You can absolutely, I think, based on what we've seen from him, playing with a guy who's clearly like I think he's going to have to defer to and for the first time, well, because like, I don't think he ever really maybe deferred to KD and Harden the way he might to Luka and, and did with LeBron. I think you're going to see Kyrie in that kind of zone. And that, to me, structurally, at the very least, makes a ton of sense based on what we've seen from him before. Yeah, yeah and I think... Oh, yeah, go ahead. No, you. I was going to say just... Uh, I think those lineups, that, that number as far as the Kyrie on-off numbers kind of matches the eye test. I think the only caveat to those numbers is that Tim Hardaway Jr. played out of his mind and yeah. post also last year he shot like 50% from 3 on like 8 attempts a game for the entire time so that might have boosted those numbers a bit but structurally just watching it visually it, it looked like it worked it looked like their offense was really in synchronicity to the point where like a lot of mass fans were even like oh this is sometimes we like watching <laughs> Kyrie on the floor without Luka a little bit more it's just it's a it's an enjoyable brand of basketball and i think that's going to be really interesting to watch if Luka ever has to miss a certain amount of games during the season all I was going to add was to ask as we maybe close on Luca would be this injury. And Chris, we didn't talk about it in our FIBA wrap up, but he said post FIBA mm-hmm. uh, world cup that the calf, I believe it's a calf. Um, oh, thigh, sorry, is quote unquote, not okay. He said, I don't know what to say. It's not okay. At the same time, I have to prepare for one more game, which was uh, the final game of the tournament. And then for a whole season in the NBA, how much do you think that affected him last year before he got shut down, Austin? And how much would it worry you if it continued to be kind of a problem in a pain management thing this year? Oh, it, it definitely affected him last year. He was noticeably slower. He really could not move that well t- to end the season. It was a very strange injury. They never really clarified what it was. All, and all they said was it's a thigh injury. Um, pretty concerning that it's still affecting him because that was, I think, about six months ago that he sustained that energy injury. I think he's looked better in FIBA. He looked fast, quick, looked like, honestly, the peak athletic version of himself. Um, but definitely a concerning injury that it's still con- that it's still ailing him and that also there's not been any specificity as to what that injury is. Mm-hmm. Here's what I would just the only thing I can add to that is maybe I'm in this Aaron Rodgers like had a calf injury in camp and then tore his Achilles. And obviously I don't like I'm not gonna tell you that one to one those things connected, but if I'm the Mavs, I would be super cautious with this. There's no like as much as you want to hit the ground running with him, and we do have several weeks until camp at this point, and when things really get ramping up, I would be super cautious with this. There's no reason to me to force something. If he's not right at the start of camp or things are weird. I think give him time to heal. I think it'll pay off in the long run. It's not worth forcing anything here with him and having him play super heavy minutes right away, even if he's not 100% and, st- and still going to play, right? Like, I don't think there's a need to... Yeah, but I mean, the problem is they're going to be bad right if away. he doesn't play. Yeah, but would you rather, like... I would rather take the short-term L on that than push it further and have it never really get right the whole year, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, I guess we can maybe talk about kind of the pressure and what 
different outcomes would mean for the season when we talk about best and worst case. But yeah, I mean, that's obviously the game they're going to have to play with this. Uh, should we move on to player we'll be talking about at the end of the year? Austin, do you want to go first on this? I think this is going to be Josh Green. I think he's going to take another step here. Big, big fan of Josh Green. He took a huge leap last year. I think he has the perfect complementary skill set to play next to Luke and Kyrie. Uh, when it was just Kyrie and Luke was out for a few games, Josh Green looked like their second best player for a pretty long, decent stretch. He struggled more once Luka came back and Luka and Kyrie both have the ball and kind of trying to find his place. Um, but as a fourth-year player, I think he's going to really, really take off. I, I think the Mavs should give him an extension before this season just so they don't have to pay him more money. Um, but he was a 42% three-point shooter last year. He, he has a really, really great sense for passing he can make great cross-court passes um and his athleticism and transition is really something that they need and i think it's going to be it's going to be really featured in the office this year i have the same guy i have very the same logic i'm a big fan i think he's such a key connector piece brendan are you in agreement with us this time i did not have josh green because maybe i you know we talked about him so much and you love him yeah, I mean, he's a he's a local guy and went to U of A and then broke out last year. And I watched a lot of Mavs down the stretch just because I liked how they were playing and the Kyrie trade and everything else. So he, he just kind of, you know, ingratiated himself to me. Thought, of, thought a little bit about what he might look like in a Suns uniform for a time there when the Aiton talks were going on. You know, that didn't end up happening. Maybe I can keep hoping. But no, I think Josh Green, you know, what he does as an energy guy, offensive rebounding, um, when he does have a quick trigger, that's nice. He just is a smart ball mover, knows kind of where the ball needs to go in the court. You know, even if he's not going to be shooting, it's just a, a a nice connective piece that any team would like to have. We'll get to it with lineup. I'm a little bit curious, you know, what does he look like guarding bigger players for longer stretches, you know, just as he gets more reps switching and being in the best lineups, closing lineups, maybe starting lineup for this team. I'm curious about that. Um, you know, is he just kind of like a ones, twos and some threes defender? Can he defend, you know, bigger guys, that type of thing. But I think he just should any team should be wanting to get him if they ever made him available. And in the meantime, like I think he's going to make Dallas better when he's out there. So that was kind of my thing. I had Jaden Hardy as the, as the guy we might be talking about. I want to just ask you off the top, Austin, before I, you know, dive into why I like him and what he might be able to do. How much do you think he'll play at least to start the year? I love Jaden Hardy. I like that pick. I, I really think he's very, very talented. And I think he actually maybe has a higher ceiling than Josh Green. Mm-hmm. But I'm kind of low on how much he's going to play this year just because they have a lot of guard depth. I think Dante Exum is actually going to break into the rotation. I think the way that he played in FIBA was really excellent. He can really guard. And if, if his jumper comes along, he should be a rotation player. And then they surprisingly signed Seth Curry. I didn't really think that was a, a need for him, but they got a really good deal. And Seth is a great shooter, does a lot of things that Jaden Hardy does as far as an off-ball shooter and a movement shooter and is a veteran. And so I think you'll kind of see a sliding scale between how much Seth Curry plays and how much Jaden Hardy plays. I think they, I think that the team thinks very highly of Jaden Hardy, but they also are pretty critical of him as far as like making sure that he's um, making the right decisions with the ball, you know, uh, becoming a better pick and roll player, a better defender. They've been really, really particular about his development. And I don't think they're just going to give him minutes just because, uh, just because he's a second-year player with promise. I think he's going to have to earn every minute that he gets. 
Yeah, Exum in FIBA, you know, very small sample, took 17 threes, made 47% of them. So what is that, eight uh, of his 17 threes? So, you know, coming along there, had a strong season overseas. So I agree. And I, you know, when they didn't get Matisse Thibel, I was kind of like, okay, well, maybe that just becomes kind of Exum's role. And obviously, Omax Prosper is is going to be in there as well. So, yeah, it, it's definitely a jammed rotation. I think, Chris, you and I, when we were talking about this offseason, we liked it, but it was kind of like with Curry and then the young guards and obviously the fact that Luca and Kyrie are going to play, like there's going to be an odd man out here. And and we talked about, you know, is it going to be Curry? Are they going to just trust Curry to, to be out there? Is Luca going to like Curry? Uh, you never know. Um, so, but I mean, yeah, Hardy, like you mentioned, great shooter, like just the place, the foundation he's starting from, right? He's great size, solid shooter, good ball handler, you know, from the jump like that, that's just baked in. He didn't finish great, but he shot 61% from two in the G league. You know, I just kind of think with his size, like maybe he's not, you know, some freak athlete that's going to be dunking on everybody, but I don't think it's going to stay bad. I think it'll improve. And then to me, it's just kind of the perfect secondary score. You know, I guess if they're really able to get fully healthy seasons out of Luca and Kyrie, maybe you don't, need a player like this quite so much, but if either of those guys have injuries or you're really just trying to limit minutes or stagger more and it he plays well enough that you kind of have to have Hardy on the court, then he's just upping your offensive floor and ceiling little by little. So um, I hope they can find a place for him. I personally would prefer, like if I'm anybody in that organization, I don't really know what the case is to play Curry tons more minutes than Hardy, but the same time you know we know vets tend to get that priority they're more consistent they're more trustworthy um you know but seth curry's we know what he's going to be defensively so it's like why not give the younger guy a little bit more and he's a more versatile scorer on top of that so i hope he plays but i hear you he might not the only thing i can add to that is i do think that in thinking about this team i am a little bit in this can transition as to best lineup i think there is a lot of the ceiling of the team to me is going to be about their offense hitting whatever that peak is going to be. But yeah. I do think if you could sneak in good defenders in there, it's why I like the Grant Williams signing. It's why I think what we've talked about, you know, maybe prosper, like he has a defensive role. He's a good as rookie. Like, I think there's ways you can sneak Hardy in there and like the defense can at least have be competitive, even if it's not necessarily good to great, right? Like I think if it can just be competitive and has athletes on there and guys that kind of will try and then they could just score a ton of points. That's not an, unrealistic recipe to me for success Two best lineup i'll go first kyrie luca josh green grant williams maxi kleber switch heavy spacing shooting around luca i don't feel great that i don't have like a exact big man in there right like i i might like more of a lob threat in there but i just like the idea that you put a bunch of athletes on the floor a bunch of guys who can shoot and I think that lineup can score a lot of points in Grant as a signing. I really like for them. And I think at a good value, I, I think there's a lot to kind of like in putting all those guys on the floor and, and having it kind of be extremely modern, extremely spaced and you ride with it. What you got, Austin, you can go next. Yeah, I think that I got the same lineup. I think if they're if they're playing playoff games, they're going to be closing with that exact lineup. It's pretty similar to the lineup that took them to the Western Conference Finals a couple years back. Uh, lots of spacing. It's a little bit more dynamic with their wings now with Josh Green and with Grant Williams, who can kind of put the ball on the floor and also make a play as a short roller. Um, and I think all those players are just very, very complimentary to Luka and Kyrie. And then Maxi again, is just a great floor spacer. He's a great switch defender. And I think all those players can also execute David, David, uh, J- Jason Kidd, 
Wade's uh, defense. I almost wanted David Blatt for some reason. <laughs> uh, we could, I mean, we could, we could do David Black Kyrie round two. <laughs> I don't know if that would go so well this time. <laughs> Didn't go well the first time. Yeah, but I, but I think they could be very successful on defense. I think that's what Kid is looking for, and why that team just did not work last year because they had players and bigs that could not execute this game. And I think all those guys can do that. Yeah, yeah. I um, we'll we'll skip the TikTok on this one, Chris. I had the same exact lineup, so uh, rather than be redundant here, um, last year. Can I, well, let me let me ask one question about this. If we were each going to put a center in that lineup instead of Kleber, who would the center be? To me, the only one who would probably be worth or could make themselves worth being that guy would be lively. I just don't expect it in year one, but I, I don't see, um, you know, Rashawn Holmes or Dwight Powell being their best option um, if, if things go according to plan, right? You you kind of need a bounce back season from Kleba, but in the past, he's been a more valuable lineup uh, versatility guy than Powell, so you would think that goes back this year if he's healthy. And yeah, I don't, I just, I don't think Rashawn Holmes is going to be that guy. So maybe lively by like March, but what do you think, Austin? Yeah, I would also say lively, yes, but, but, but a second half of the season, just because of his sheer size. Also, the thing I love most about lively is that he buys into his role. He doesn't want to do anything more than be a shot blocker and a run runner. So they're not going to have to worry about, you know, trying to get him post touches or trying to get him shots. Uh, and he really, really wants to be a great rim defender. And I think he has the tools and all of his analytics in college kind of indicate that. And I think he'll he'll have a bigger impact, uh, early, a bigger impact earlier on than most people think, just because he's so committed to his role. And what they're asking him to do is, is very simple and straightforward. And you can't teach his size and his instincts. And I think those are really going to pop towards the second half of his rookie year. I think you guys have said it right. I think if it's opening night, I wonder if it's Holmes just because like we kind of know what Dwight Powell is and they're like, we just haven't seen Rashawn Holmes in a big way in like a year. Um, but who knows? I don't, I don't really know if I trust him to be solid enough. So I, I think they're in a, they're in a little bit of a tricky spot there. All right. Best case scenario, Austin, what is your best case scenario for the 2023, 2024 Dallas Mavericks? My best case scenario is that Derek Lively makes first team all rookie and he just storms onto the scene because if he's if he's a really good player early on, they're they can be a very high level basketball team and they'll have they'll have a top ten defense. And if they have a top ten defense and you have Luke and Kyrie, you're a, a team that can contend for a title theoretically. Um now that's a very like maybe like four or five percent chance of happening, but I think that's the absolute best scenario is that Lively just bullies his way into the starting lineup and is an elite defensive center early on. Much like Walker Kessler last year, if he can have some some impact close to that level where it's just clear that he's a elite defensive player early, I think that's their quickest way to success. Because I think the other paths as far as Luka and Kyrie, I think what they're gonna what they're gonna give to you outside of getting injured is gonna be pretty you know, it's there's nothing that's going to be um, some outlier for their seasons. I don't think there's anything that they can go up as far as their their output. Um, I think Josh Green could maybe you know up have a, a big uptick in his production, but I think where they could really really surprise people is if Lively is a great center early on. Yeah, I had the defense bounces back. Luca and Kyrie bring another gear out of one another, and the young guys all show something, you know? So kind of combining a, a little bit of what each of you guys said probably or what uh, what Austin said at least. And um, I think that's pretty doable, honestly. What did you have, Chris? 
Yeah, I think it starts with the offense for me. If they overwhelm on that end of the floor with Luka and Kyrie and they just add enough toughness and grand and enough defensive pieces, I like the Dante Exum shout. Even when he was in Cleveland and and Utah, the offense like really kind of fell apart for him, but he still was a good defender and a big kind of switchable guard. That's a piece they can really use. So I think if all that clicks, the defense gets better and the offense just overwhelms, I think this team could be as the kids say, a problem. The worst case, mm-hmm. I think it, it goes to me back to Kyrie. Um, we've just seen how this has gone, and and I maybe it's a new environment. Maybe he's got the money, and that settles things. There's just nothing that has happened with him since he's left Cleveland, and really even in Cleveland that has suggested to me that you can just assume that Kyrie is going to be normal and it's going to play out the way you kind of need it to and want it to. So if that just goes a certain way, I don't know how they pivot off of him. I don't know what they really do. I don't think he's tradable. So I just think if that goes awry right away, that's the worst case scenario because I don't exactly know how you pivot off of, off that, off him at this point. Yeah. I had worst case being green and Hardy stall out. None of the bigs really work and Luca trade talks take over the headline again or not trade talks, trade rumors, not actual negotiations. I don't think we're even close to that, but you know, the NBA is obnoxious and that's what will happen if this season doesn't feel like a success. So, um, it's not all about the young guys. Cause I agree with you, like Grant Exum, some of those guys will, will probably matter more to just raising their defensive floor, Chris, but you know, a lot of it mm-hmm. probably has to also be development in order to feel kind of like optimistic about the state of things, you know, um, what do you have for worst case, Austin? I think if there's a, a Grant Williams injury, a major one, that could really tank their season. It's He's kind of a linchpin for defense. They don't really have a lot of guys who can defend bigger wings outside of Omax Prosper. And if anything happens to him, or maybe he falls off, maybe he's not as, maybe there's a reason he wasn't playing in games in Boston in the playoffs. Uh, if he's not as good as, as, as everyone thought he was going to be this season, I think that could really affect them because they won't be able to defend. Um, and then outside of that, the, the Luca thigh injury is a little concerning to me. If that turns into something that's, that's bigger, that slows him down, or even that's something that doesn't allow him to stay in shape towards the end of the season. That's kind of what happened last year. He not only was hurt, but he was hurt and he was out of shape and it really just brought everything else down. And I think that could easily, easily take a, a half season. 100%. All right. Uh, over under 45 and a half as of right now. I don't want to go first. Brendan, I'm making you go first. I'm going over. Dallas was 10th in offense, 25th in defense after the Kyrie trade. They were a little better before that, but obviously lost five of their last six. We really made it through a whole segment about the Mavs without talking about whether they were right to tank the end of the year. That's uh, very impressive for uh, for all of us. But um, yeah. They were a 42-win team last year statistically. So you just have to be better on defense. You get a full year of Kleba, no Christian Wood. We talked about the offense, how you're kind of in good hands with Luka and Kyrie there. I'm going over 45 and a half. Um, I just think it's not that big of a leap, and we've seen it before. This team won 52 games two years ago. So that's that's my case. Um, what do you have, Chris? Now, now you got to – it's your turn. Over. Over, same reasons, and I think Luca's that good. I understand now he... Look, I understand he's had... Like, there's some things that have been, I think, frustrating with him at times. I think there's fairness to be some skepticism of Dallas in certain ways, I think, that we've outlined. But I think the offense is just going to be so good, and I think they can be better on defense, even if they're not great on defense, and I think they're going to win a lot of games. Um, whether, whether that translates into a deep postseason run, I think, is 
question. We will see. But I think regular season wise, the offense is just going to be really good. And I think that's that's a path to a lot of wins. Yeah, uh, I agree. I would take that over. I think even as bad as last year was, they had a lot of inexplicable losses. Uh, I would call Elias Sports and Bureau losses where they had to tweet out a statistic afterwards saying that the odds of someone losing a game in that scenario. Um, so I think really just as long as they, they have relatively good health, um, I think they're going to clear this 45 win mark. I think, again, Luke is just too good. He's just he's worth 40 to 45 wins on his own. They'll have a revamped defense. Uh, no Christian Wood. I think that's worth five plus wins. Um, and I think, yeah, wow. I think this is going to be... <laughs> <laughs> tell the Lakers. Let, let me let me tell you. I will enjoy watching the Lakers. Lakers fans talk themselves in the Christian one next year. That will be. Oh, a, it happened. It's already. <laughs> it's oh in yeah, full yeah. Force. Are, you, are you kidding me? The moment there was a Laker like Christian Woods to Lakers rumor, are you kidding? The Lakers fans are absolutely talking. Perfect guy to play next that. to AD. Switch defense. He'll be able to create. He's another offensive weapon for this team. Yeah, oh. they're there already. Uh, I'm, I, I will be there no matter what. That's that's going to be a, a great time for me. So I think, yeah, this is going to be uh, an, an over for the Mavs unless something catastrophic happens with a big Luka injury or really a big Kyrie injury. Also, let me just ask you this on a scale of 1 to 10, just because I, I just want to ask this pretty just bluntly. Confidence of Lynn Kyrie? I think it's a 7. Okay. You're, hot, you're more optimistic than me. I'm like a 5.5. Yeah, I think I think there's a a lot of the things that were in his way in the past couple of years won't be issues this time. I think he's personally also in a better spot with what I'm heard, and you know we're not in a pandemic, so that that would be mostly useful. <laughs> so I, well, I don't. Well, yeah, yeah, that's but true. Mostly, most, most the NBA wise, we're not at least. Uh, yeah, well, and then like if there's. Yeah, we don't need to get into that. But he, <laughs> I, I understand what you're. Yeah, yeah. Certainly, I think that maybe make things a little bit easier to have him on a net to night basis now. Yeah. Yep. So, I, and I think also generally the first year where he's in a place, he's typically on, on his best behavior. So I think year one, I don't have many issues. Once year two comes around, my confidence level might not be as high. Okay, I think that's all fair. Uh, Austin, tell everyone about where they can find your work and and all of that. Yeah, uh, I write over at D at, at Dime and also at D Magazine, uh, and then I'm also on the 77 Minutes podcast with Tim Cato. Yeah, check the, all of that out. Uh, coming up next, our WNBA playoff preview. So stay tuned for that, folks. All right, finishing up today with a preview of the entire WNBA postseason slate. We have a special guest for this. You can, it's Maddie. You can find her on TikTok at WNBA Data. Maddie, thank you so much for coming on. And can we shame Brendan real quick for being the only one of us without a WNBA, WNBA hat on? Yours I don't own a mine. WNBA hat. I don't own a WNBA hat. I was going to say at the very top before we dive into all of our, you know, really, really deep, thoughtful analysis of all things WNBA playoffs that Maddie has the coolest WNBA hat yes. that I've seen personally. Yes. Much It's better than yours, Chris. So I don't even think it you is. can really like take her side. It is. Here. No, no. But I can take her side because you're wearing a San Diego Padres hat. And I, I mean, just feel like I'm just missing out. it's a it's a wake for the end of the Padres season. And I'm just here to celebrate it. But is there a story behind the hat? Where did you get it, Maddie? I got it on eBay. Actually, Ooh. I just go on eBay so much. And if you just even search WNBA, but WNBA hat, you'll always see like cool vintage hats or WNBA stuff. So if you are in need of something, you can get something really unique for really cheap on eBay. Uh, we love is, our friends at eBay. Just sports. Yes. 
colleagues, uh, partners yes. at eBay. So, yeah. you know, if you want to do some work with us, eBay, and you happen to be listening to this, you know, we just got a little bit of an idea there. But I almost feel bad asking. It's like we uh, we kind of broke your secret there, but it's cool. That's hat. okay. People always ask about this hat in particular, too, and I do see it pop up sometimes. So, yeah, you just got to keep looking. I, I'm seeing some amazing hats as I, I did this very quickly, and there are some like truly like hats that I I I like want to spend money on. Even it feels like, like people forgot have... about eBay. Is that is that like an old person thing to say? I just I don't think people like no people buy like denim it. on eBay now. That's the thing. That's the big thing now, Brendan. Is people buying their denim on eBay because okay. like I bought a hubcap on eBay recently. It was sure good. It was cheap. It was a good one. Okay. Yeah, there are a lot. The WNBA Finals 2007. I'm looking at. Yeah. Okay. Thank you for the thank you for the uh, suggestion. I will be saving this tab as we record here, Maddie. Yeah, you need to get your WNBA hat. Okay. Yeah, Brent, it does have. Just get one that speaks to you. You know, like this one I bought when I was at the Liberty Aces game because it was the only New York Liberty hat they had for sale, and I was like, I have to buy a hat if I'm here. I have a WNBA hoodie, but that was a bad thing to buy living in Phoenix. That's like my one. And then the Skylar shirt I was wearing the other day, Chris. So yeah, I, I, I'm there, but hat. it's not a hat. Yeah, I'll, I'll do it. Oh, man, I found a great lapel pin. Oh, this is this is this is it's a rabbit. Hole. OK, yes, I'm there goes my bank. Card. All right, let's start with the play. Of three. We're going to start with the one eight matchup, the Las Vegas Aces and Chicago Sky to turn it over to Manny. Manny, do you have a, you, we're going to look through a lot of these series numbers first. That's what you're doing on your TikTok. People should, again, should go follow that. Give us a number. Give us something you're looking for in Vegas Sky, which is the 1-8. Well, to be honest, I didn't think too much about this one. To me, it really just feels like the Aces have a clear advantage, but maybe like <laughs> the stat that like really shows that is like if I look at the Aces points per game, they've got 92.8 points per game and their net margin of victory is like 12.6 points. But the Sky, you know, their margin is an average like negative one. Like they don't score as much as the Aces. So yeah, to me, I think this is like, I didn't really think about the, the Sky potentially pulling this one out. It seems pretty fair. If one team consistently dominated its opponent and is the one seed and the eight seed, uh, you know, did not, that feels pretty good. I actually have that with uh, with the three six matchup. There's just some very obvious indicators here where I'm like, I'm not sure that our uh, wonderful six seed in the WNBA playoffs is actually like even an above average basketball team. But we'll get there later. Um, the stat that I pulled that actually, you know, wasn't even me trying to do a, a stat thing necessarily, but Emma um, Vopel did a really cool story on ESPN today about Chelsea Gray, Kelsey Plum, and, and Jackie Young and where and how they stack up to other trios in WNBA history, not just perimeter trios, but just trios. And she had it uh, that it's 51 points, 15 and a half assists per game combined. The Sky actually have 52 points, 14 assists per game with their trio. It's just the worst team overall. So I actually, like, it might not be a competitive series. I feel like it's kind of going to come down to the fact that the Aces are a better three-point shooting team and they have better interior defense and rebounding and can own the paint. Luckily, their best player happens to own that part of the court, obviously, and Asia Wilson, but... I'm just looking forward to watching the fact that these two teams kind of have that mirrored roster construction where they just have three perimeter scorers who just 
rain down points and assists every night. And if we get a couple games where all six of those players are just doing their thing, I think it'll be really entertaining. And I was rooting for the Chicago, Chris, this whole time. I kept telling you, let's see this this offense in the playoffs because it's going to be the more entertaining team versus like the Sparks or whatever. So um, that's what I'm looking forward to. But I agree with you guys. I think uh, I think Vegas is going to handle business here. This is over in two. This is just done. I, I don't see this being competitive. I think it feels like the Aces, if I were going to like project a little bit and just them going through this East Coast malaise, all the kind of just, you know, they're not winning at the same rate they were earlier in the season. I just kind of feel like this is a team that knows it's waiting for this a little mm-hmm. bit. Yes, are they a little bit thin at spots? Sure. Have they struggled with the Liberty a little bit? Yes. Do, am I going to maybe pick the Liberty win at all? Yes. I kind of think the Aces are just waiting for this. Like, they are the classic embodiment to me of a team that is just waiting for the real stuff to start, and the other stuff is just mm-hmm. a warm-up. Yeah. So that's my pick. Aces and two. It's, it's, this is going to be quick. Maddie, what do you think of the three-game series stuff because this i i want to throw the question i believe in the expansion of the playoffs i think espn should stop being a baby and actually let even more expansion happen but uh also this type of series sometimes i'm like could we just do the one game thing again because we could just get this over with yeah like like this does feel like it could just be over in one but also sometimes three games is stressful because even like having as few as three games could allow for an upset like you know i think at least like one of these other series could potentially like not go Mm -hmm. to the higher seed if yeah if just like a the worst team by seeding like has a good game twice in a row then they would go through but yeah for like stuff like this yeah when it's like the one seed maybe you could get away with having one game and it's not really gonna there's not a huge chance of an upset it just feels like one of those where it's like we could just get a 30 game blowout in this and uh it would it would have been over but um yeah i have aces in two as well i think i think it'll end quick yeah i don't see this being remotely competitive but again weirder things could happen small sample sizes can create different things all right let's move on to liberty the number two seed versus the seven seed the washington mystics I also tend to think that the series might not be competitive because I think the Liberty are have proven themselves to be that good. But would it shock me if the series was a little bit more competitive than Ace and Sky just because I think the Mystics have it in them? Mm-hmm. I wouldn't be surprised, right? Um, Maddie, where do you start when you when you think about this series? The Liberty and the Mystics. Honestly, I'm a little bit more... I'm not like a Liberty hater, but I'm like, Mm. I'm, you know, I'm not like on board as much with the Liberty. I'm like really more with the Mystics. Like the Mystics have had like so many injuries that it's like, we almost don't know who they are completely yet. Or Mm. like, we think we know they're like a really like mainly defensive team. Like last year they allowed the fewest points in the WNBA and I feel like it would be safe to say that would be true this year, too, if they didn't have so many injuries. They did allow, like, the fifth fewest points, I think. Um, but, yeah, with the with the Liberty, they're, like, the second highest scoring team. And the Mystics are, like, allowing, like, only about 80 points per game. The, or, yeah, and the Liberty are scoring, like, 90 points per game. I feel like something has to give. And, you know, we saw yesterday the Mystics beat the Liberty. They were... 
the mystics were ahead for a little bit there. So I, I feel like this one, like in my heart, the mystics could pull out an upset. Not that I think for sure it's going to happen, but I feel like out of all of these, like that's the one that I would see being flipped. Okay. We talked about the case for this, Chris, with uh, the return of Elena Deladon a while ago and them getting healthy and, you know, really being a dark horse. And I was probably higher on them when we had that conversation than I am now. I have to admit, like, I actually thought about just saying that the Liberty would win this one in two. I just think the offense hasn't quite come around like I would have hoped. Um, I think if you were going to make the case for the upset, in, in my opinion, or even just before we knew who they were playing, just the idea that the Mystics could kind of make a run here, it would have been a much better version of Elena Deladon. I just don't quite think she's at her peak. I don't think that their shooters are as much of a threat as they were at, at this team's best, um, which was a while ago now. But, you know, especially somebody like Natasha Cloud had a really hot shooting season that year and hasn't really been that player since. So that um, Shakira Austin sounds like she will be out again. She missed the last few games of the year and she's seeing a specialist and they're using the word being careful and things like that, which, uh, you know, That's, we, we kind of know where that goes, yeah. right? So the hip is yeah. still bothering her, a, a, a re-injury of that. So, yeah, I to me, this feels like a big series for Jonquil Jones Brianna Stewart and Benai Jelani. That's kind of where I came down because Washington's going to switch a lot. And the advantage that Liberty have over most teams, um, obviously, is is their size, but especially with this team and the fact that, you know, they're going to they're gonna be okay having Cloud or Atkins on Jones in the post, you know, or, or they're going to be fine if it's Shatori Walker-Kimbrough and a bench unit is trying to, you know, prevent a Benajelani drive and then we know Stewie can score against anybody so that's kind of the bottom line on this one in my opinion is if that can happen and I have no reason to think that those three especially can't attack that plus the shooting discrepancies and some of that stuff I talked about like I think it'll be a hard-fought series but I don't I, I, I personally don't see it uh, going the other way so I had Liberty in three what did you have Chris uh, I'm gonna go Liberty in I'm going to go Liberty in three. I'm going to say the Mystics get a game, but I do think the worst. I I still just think there's a gap between these teams, especially with the Austin injury. I mean, if she doesn't play, I think that really just uh, John Cole Jones might be the MVP of the series if things break that way. I have a under the radar thing for this one. I might start. This is this is a deep cut. You guys ready? Okay. I might yeah. start Queen Egbo over Maisha Hines-Allen if Shakira Austin is out. Because, again, I think John Quell just has such an advantage on uh, in this matchup that I might want the, you know, more traditional energy big over Maisha Hines-Allen, who I think can actually attack the Stephanie Dolson matchup. So if you just switch those two and kind of who they're playing majority of their minutes matching up with... Might might make that advantage a little bit less. I might I, maybe not game one, but I'm you know, maybe game two. You see that happen. So just throwing that out there. Maddie, what is your official pick here? My official pick. I guess I'll be bold and just say Mystics and three, even Love though it, it probably won't happen. I feel like if or like the Liberty will probably get past the Mystics, but if the Liberty get past the Mystics, they'll go to the finals. But I also feel like the Liberty have the chance to lose to the Mystics. But 
yeah, I feel like the Liberty having John Quill Jones, like really stepping it up, like at this point of the season, I think that's going to be like a big reason why they will be able to push through, through the playoffs. All right, let's go to Sun Lynx next. That's the three seeded Connecticut Sun, the number six seed Minnesota Lynx. I think I, I tend to favor the Suns. The Suns excuse me very heavily in the series. I'm thinking about Brendan and the Phoenix Suns when I say Suns. It's very troubling Freudian slip for for me just thinking about Bradley Beal um, in season prep. But I don't know if the series I, I the, the the series I really want to talk about is four or five, and we're gonna get there. That's the one that I'm, mm-hmm. I'm most excited about, to be honest with you. This is the other one that I'm like, are we sure this one is going to be particularly competitive? Even if I don't think the Sun are necessarily at the level of the Liberty or the Aces, I do think they're pretty. They feel pretty good as a number three seed versus a six year. Yeah, to me, my first note is this series is going to be a slog. Like, yeah, we got a lot of basketball to watch, Chris. If I look at these scores and they're not close, I might not watch this series. I just have to admit, you know, we try to cover everything and that means sacrificing certain things. Um, there could be some like 65, 63 type of games in this series. You know, uh, we just we, we get some of those every year. It's fine. But it's you know, it is what it is. I think this was the team I was talking about. I'm not uh, you know, I, I don't like to be too aggressive with certain things. But like the, the links might just kind of be frauds here. They have uh, so basketball reference has their Pythagorean win total. Yeah. Would you like to know what it is? Did, did anybody look here? It's 12. I I, yeah, it's low. It's 12. Low. They were a 12 and 28 team statistically. That would make them a lottery team. How are they the six seed? I don't quite know. They got very lucky. They won some games they shouldn't have. And, you know, they do have a, a star player that I think is great in Nafisa Collier. And I think Diamond Miller had a much, much better rookie season than I expected. I think that that as their, as their duo kind of the build around is a really great foundation, but they don't do anything particularly well. Offense, defense, rebounding, shooting, whatever you would try to look at, creating turnovers. It's like nothing, zero. Um, they had a really hot streak in the middle of the year, and it seems like they kind of just rode that to the playoffs. So I think the Sun win this handily. I, I actually don't know how close it'll be, and I think that they'll win it in two. What do you have, Maddie? Yeah, the Sun just feel like a, a better overall team, and they, they're obviously like a team with a lot of playoff experience. I guess you're, to your point with the like Pythagorean wins that the Lynx like, should have had, like maybe that means they could keep overperforming, <laughs> but I think, yeah, what that's supposed to mean, yeah, they should like regress to the mean, so to speak. And yeah, I don't really think this would be that close of a series either, especially with Alyssa Thomas averaging a triple double. And last year in the playoffs, she had a lot of triple doubles. So yeah, she can really just like dominate the game. Yeah, I don't really feel like minnesota has any player to even kind of match her you know i think the force she plays with and everything like i guess it would probably be collier you know and i i just i don't yeah i i don't think that minnesota is going to be able to stop connecticut from doing anything that they want to do but um we might have already spent too much time on this one chris we can get to your uh, dessert here dallas atlanta Okay, my okay. It's number four seed Dallas Wings, number five seed Atlanta yeah. Dream. Is this not the best series? I, like on paper, is this mm-hmm. not the the most evenly matched, exciting series? Like the mm-hmm. star emergence on the Dallas side. Like, I I just this is the one that if I'm clearing out 
time to make sure I'm watching everything. This this is the one. This this is the one. Agreed. I'm really excited because it's kind of the first time for both of these teams. Like that's the part of it that I'm looking forward to is just you learn a lot about players when they get put in this environment and it's not the bright lights aspect. It's just especially with these teams, the games will slow down. These teams both excel in transition. You know what I mean? Late games, these will be close games, you would think. What does that look like? You know, it's not like they've never been faced with it, but the playoffs are different and you want to win. So um, that that excites me. Um, Maddie. if I were to ask you, there's a lot of, both of these teams are pretty deep and have a lot of interesting young players. Who do you think is the best player in this series? The best player? Um, well, this is not a statistical answer, but it's okay. I, and I think this is like a cop out answer almost, but Arike Gumbawale like really has the power to just like score at will. I think she's been playing the most minutes of anyone this regular season. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, so I, I think she's like a big reason why the wings can like win like close games at the end is because she can just like put up like a crazy three and yeah, help save the wings if they need saving. Yeah. I, I think I would probably say Satu Sabalu, but I think to your point, like these games probably will be close and I think the ball will be in Enrique's hands and you trust her in that type of last second situation more than anyone else. I like Chris, I don't know what you're looking at in this one, but I think that that is a big part of what's going to happen here because, you know, on the Atlanta side, Ryan Howard has put up some just straight up inefficient kind of clunker games when she has to shoot a lot, you know, and I think Alicia Gray, like there's a contingent of WNBA fans who have kind of always thought that there's more underneath the surface there. I think she's proven to be a high level player, all-star player, but you know, is that aggressiveness going to come out or is that kind of second fiddle type of mentality, just what she's best attuned to maybe this playoff run gives her the opportunity to, to break out and do even more, but between those two versus kind of the you know sure thing that I feel like Arike and Sabali uh, give you with their aggressiveness and experience doing that like I that's kind of what one of the main things that gives me uh wants makes me want to give Dallas the edge um what are you what are you looking at Chris so I think the the Satu and Arike combo is just kind of interesting because like we've known Arike is to Maddie's point like does this this is kind of the stage where she made her name in Notre Dame this is the stage where you just expect her to go out and get buckets this will be Satu Sable's fifth sixth and seventh playoff games if it goes to uh three games now she played in college like I'm not saying she doesn't have that experience she's you know Mm -hmm. played for internationally as well but like there is just like you there is just an adjustment there always is even if you have had competed at high levels before it's just whether it's the WNBA, the nba anything there is an adjustment yeah i so i'm looking at that but i think she's the best player in the series i texted brennan like a week ago maddie after she when she had that like what 30 like which at 39 just that Mm -hmm. game where she was like i was like this is what she's a top what player in the league now like top 10 like she's that good that talented and i think she's the best person on the team even if arike maybe has the reputation the edge of just having done it longer and done it 
in ways that have really cemented her as this kind of clutch bucket getting Hooper kind of person. And those 40 points at not, not 30, I want, 39. I want to apologize. You got her mixed up with Dylan Brooks. I think, I think that's why 39 was in your head. Just think, he had, just he had the 39 think, in the bronze medal game. Yeah. Thinking about Dylan Brooks boxing in a hallway, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, here's the last thing I would point out on this game or on this series. Atlanta, I, I mentioned Pace earlier. They might be the one team Dallas doesn't own the transition game against. I believe that Atlanta had the quickest pace in the league this year, um, and they live in transition too. So that would typically be something you would look at the Wings dominating in, and they'd, it'll at least be even, you know, unless something goes different than expected. Both teams pretty poor shooting. So... You know, I mentioned the late game stuff. I think the other area this one's going to get decided is Atlanta has no interior defense. That's the easiest thing to pick a, a hole in in their, you know, uh, makeup all season long. And Dallas has Natasha Howard on the roll and Tier McCowan and Kalani Brown offensive rebounding. If that can continue and the guards can get them the ball and and the offensive glass can be a real advantage. That's just such a blueprint to owning the possession game and owning kind of the context of of the games, context of the series, and ultimately winning it. So all that combined. I did still have it going three, but I did pick the wings. Maddie, what do you think? I'm feeling more like the wings in two. Like, I... I don't know. This is more of like a feeling thing, but I know like all the starters on the wings, like have like intense playoff experience, like maybe not Satu, but you know, like at least Arike and Tara McCowan in college and Natasha Howard has been a lo- around yeah. a while. I really feel like they have the potential to just like knock it out in two. I'm going to go wings in three. I think two is very possible. I, as much as I'm excited about this series, I have just kind of thought the whole time that Dallas, to me, Dallas might be the third best team in the league. Um, I just really like the makeup and I, I like their future, maybe more than them right now. But I do think this series for them, like I do just think they should be a pretty significant favorite, even if I do think it could be competitive, could be close, and should be the most fun series, and at least the one that has the chance to just have the most twists and turns. Like I don't think any of these others, like maybe Liberty Mystics has moments of this, but I don't think Aces Sky has twists and turns coming, and I don't think Sun Lynx has twists and turns coming either. Yeah. This is the argument on the other end, right? I mean, I said it with uh, Aces Sky should be back to a one game. Like, this is the argument to have the first round be five or seven, right? Like, I think that these teams are evenly matched. Um, you know, really, really deep take for me to say the 1-8 is the least close series and the 4-5 is the closest. You're welcome, everybody. That's what you come here for, just basketball. But, um, yeah, it, it should be fun. I think, again, that the inexperience in the youth part of it, I think from like a narrative standpoint, from an excitement standpoint, like we're getting our first kind of taste and uh, in a close series with a lot on the line and both of these franchises want to take that step forward, like what more could you ask for? Uh, I think five, seven, and then seven in the final should be how we do this. But that's there's a lot someday, of Chris. To, someday we'll talk have to more Jimmy teams, Pitaro. More teams. We'll get we'll narrow down the list from like fourteen to like ten by the end of the year, and that would be cool. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, steps. the list. Yeah, the yeah. capital L list that 
She's Kathy has in her back pocket. She's absolutely going to do an interview during this playoff run where she gets asked about expansion, and she's going to say, "You know, we still we have the list is going to grow to like twenty. So we actually the list have is seven hundred city. We we have a list of every municipality in the United States, and we're looking at it. That's what she's plus the plus the moon. Plus, like we're actually mm -hmm. gonna we're gonna branch out. We've got a really good deal from Coinbase. They want us to go to the moon, and I'll be like, okay, this this all tracks. Um, all right, title picks. If we're gonna go today. I'm going the New York Liberty. I do agree, Maddie, with your point that like I do sometimes feel like they played down to their competition a little bit. They are susceptible in ways, but I think the way they've been playing the last couple of months, I think Brina Stewart, to me being the best player in the world, I think the the level Sabrina has hit of late. I think that roster just what who's going to matter for this team. I just trust it, and I just have loved the way they've played the Aces the last couple times they've matched up. So I'm going to go the Liberty over the Aces in the final. I think is where this ends up, and I think that series goes to its max. I think it's going to be really close. Wouldn't shock me if the Aces did it, but I think it's either going to be the Liberty or the Aces. And I'm, as of today, I'm I'm sticking with my Liberty pick. What do you got, Maddie? Yeah, I think it is like probably going to be liberty versus aces we didn't talk about it but i feel like if dallas gets through that first round i feel like like the wings would give the aces a hard time mm -hmm. um i'm just gonna say the aces because i really i i don't know i really feel like watching my storm playing the liberty i'm like wow like the storm almost beat the liberty so you know <laughs> the aces can get it back together and be their best against the Liberty again. It is kind of like worrying that the aces don't have like Candace Parker or like someone else to like, like help in the post as much. But yeah, while I think, or I, I worry it may be the Liberty. I'm going to just say the aces. All right. I will finally uh, oblige Chris. I think I just have to give in. It's, it's going to be the Liberty. I think, um, just too complete of a team and have figured out how to patch up kind of the perceived weaknesses we might have thought that they had as long as they stay healthy and even if they don't frankly i think they can weather an injury or two even easier than anyone else because they're also deep somehow because you know there might have been some under the table things going on i'm not sure not accusing anybody but the aces got investigated not sure why the you know other team didn't but it's fine um i just think they're kind of have an answer for everything and they just have so much offensive firepower that it, it should be them I, I think they should be the favorites what are the is it still so lopsided chris we haven't looked at the odds in a while but i i'm gonna let me i really hope that this thing is evened out because for a long time it was like the aces were negative or i think they were negative almost all season and then the liberty they're were still, plus 200 or something so aces are my here's the betting odds as of right now september 11th 905 p.m mm -hmm. aces 150 liberty plus 145 sun plus 2000 wings plus 2500 mystics plus 4000 dream plus 12500 the sky plus 20000 the links plus 20000 wait so the aces are minus 150 minus one and the liberty are plus 145 it's goofy yes it's 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 shrunk over time but there is yeah. still a discrepancy there absolutely there's yeah. still a discrepancy strange stuff brendan, yeah. brendan if I, you had to throw ten dollars on the sky or the links you're doing the sky right oh yeah like if you had like had to and you said okay mm -hmm. you have to lose ten dollars it's that one right i mean clea copper might be the you could make the case she's the second best player in that series behind asia you know i think that she's 
good enough and they have enough overall talent that you have to respect that. I agree. Maddie, any final thoughts, any final things you're considering as we, we look ahead to these playoffs? Uh, anything going on? Any final Seattle Storm season thoughts you need to, you need to get off? Yeah, your, wait, let, of your here's, the, here's the question. Which of the, which of the potential top oh, picks yes. do you want we're, next yeah, we're, in, in the draft? Yeah, like we, who, we who do you think this, fits yeah. the best with Jewel and what kind of the team has? Um, I could probably tell you who I don't want. I don't want <laughs> I don't want Caitlin Clark to come to the storm because I feel like that's like too much. That's like you know I like Caitlin Clark, but I feel like that's too much you know media attention. Wow! I don't know okay. why I'm not wow. I'm not like on the storm. What a swerve! <laughs> just what a swerve! She wants her very unpopulated rural community of Seattle, Washington to be left alone. No one knows about Seattle. Keep it that way. Yeah, maybe she can stay in the Midwest. That would be great for the game, as they say. Here's the thing. I think if the the Fever gets the first pick, she might be going back to Iowa for that fifth year, even with Aaliyah Boston. Yeah, she might be going back to the Midwest, but i.e. The University of Iowa. <laughs> yeah. If uh, if it's the fever at one, yeah, I'll take her. I- I'll be the one to fall on the sword and say, I- Caitlin Clark can come to Phoenix. I-, I I'll be the one to sacrifice and make that happen. I'm I'm, I'm totally comfortable with that. Media attention, bring it on. I'm good. So anyone else you'd be cool with? Cameron Brink, Angel Reese, Paige Beckers. Um, yeah. I'm, I'd be fine with Paige Beckers. You know, got to see her after injury. Yeah, the health. Yeah, I, I, people aren't really talking about Haley Van List in the draft, but for some reason, I wouldn't mind having her. She's from Washington. <laughs> there you but, go. Yeah, you know, I'm a little bit more of a fan of her than Cameron Brink. I know they're like BFFs, though. Like well, it. and you're also going to get the Angel Reese Haley Van List team up this year, which is going to be the most shit talking possible of any team. And I'm, I personally am very excited to watch that because Kim Mulkey also is going to talk a bunch of shit, and it's going to be a lot of fun. Um, <laughs> but it, if that boosts Haley Van List draft stock, like I wouldn't be surprised if she gets like a, a the rub, so to speak, from mm-hmm. from a year at LSU and like maybe winning the national title, and she looks awesome on that team. Wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, yeah, it'll be interesting to see like how LSU does if they like still stay at the top with their yeah, talk about media attention them. right uh yeah <laughs> <laughs> they're gonna be getting some of it i would say yes yeah, who has better fits Haley van who has better fits Haley van lith or kim mulkey i'm gonna say kim mulkey not really you want to expand on that chris <laughs> no i don't okay i don't, okay. I don't. just throw, just talk about it on a different pod we'll do that in our college basketball preview in a month yeah. okay cool cool all right um Maddie, any, 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 just tell everyone a little bit more about your TikTok and where they can find you over there and, and everything. And we'll wrap this up. Yeah. My TikTok WNBA data. I like to make videos about the WNBA, like, you know, different players, our teams or whatever's going on. Um, usually involving some kind of data. Like a lot of the times that's just some stats or maybe some like funny math problems sometimes like, my girlfriend and I are always like, what if the aces was all Chelsea Grays? And then I like take their field goal percentage and like figure out how many of their field goals they would have made with Chelsea Gray taking all the shots. Um, yeah. So it's not all like super serious. Um, but if you, if you like math, even if you don't know anything about the WNBA, yeah, feel free to check it out on TikTok WNBA data. I also have 
the Twitter where sometimes the videos are posted. And if you're like really like a TikTok hater, which I respect, um, I also have WNBA data on YouTube and I post most of my videos there as shorts. Yeah, please go subscribe to that after you finish watching this video or listening to this podcast. We'll be back with more just basketball in the near future. Enjoy the hoops. Enjoy the demand place. Please tune in. If you like basketball, if you care at all about high-level basketball, you should be tuning into this. It's going to be really fun and really competitive and awesome. Until the next episode, this has been the Just Basketball Show. Talk to you all next week.